Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Well, this week we dive into the tree of health and more specifically, the four energies that we talk about when it comes to health. And when I say health, anyone that is familiar with the higher branch frameworks, you'll know one of our frameworks is the eight areas of life. And health is at the center of those eight areas because it represents our life force. But our life force is made up of not just a physical energy, which is something that most of us in the Western world just focus on, the diet, exercise, sleep. But it also involves a symbiotic relationship with the mind, the emotions, and the spiritual. Now, my next guest is someone who really encapsulates all four of those energies, and his approach to medicine is quite unique. And so whenever we hear the word medicine, we immediately think of the pharmaceutical world, drugs used by conventional doctors. But my next guest is not a doctor, nor a guru, nor a practitioner of alternative medicine. He is part of a new and growing breed of practitioners who use lifestyle as medicine. And he studied nutrition and fitness at the Gold Coast Training Academy in Australia, even though he is based in India. It's a certified course to better understand nutrition, exercise physiology and the anatomy of the human body. He's also an affiliate member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and he continues his learning when it comes to natural health sciences. But just like most excellent practitioners, it is not credentials that matter, but rather it is your passionate pursuit and your continuous thirst to keep learning about these things. His clients come from all over the world. He has an incredible team based in India, and I absolutely love his holistic approach to health. So this is a topic that we haven't really covered in a while and definitely not in this fashion. So you're going to learn a lot about nutrition, about sunshine, sleep, movement, immunity, gut health, stress and stress management. We're going to cover it all. And as I said, I love his approach because you cannot treat one part or even one organ alone, just like medicine does. You need to treat the whole body, including the mind. And so he believes the mind and body is connected and we cannot separate the two. And in most cases, disease and sickness starts in the mind and the soul. So on that note, it is uh, my pleasure to introduce to our podcast for the first time, Luke Cotino. Hi, Sam. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, so it took a while to actually have this conversation because you are uh, a busy man, but I have been listening to a lot of your work and I got to say, I, I really love it because I've seen how medicine has evolved over the last few decades and it hasn't really fast-tracked integrative medicine or lifestyle as medicine. And a lot of my friends who are cardiologists or immunologists will tell me the schools of medicine are just so singular they just say okay this is all you're learning so they treat one thing and one thing only and they now recognize that they need to work with people such as yourself and I know that you work with a lot of doctors because a lot of people will come and see you with a particular issue that is being treated by a doctor but that specialist can't go to that next step they don't know how to in fact they come to you for advice when it comes to lifestyle as medicine 
So my first question is, before we dive deep, is what made you get into this area? Because I'm intrigued. You've worked in Dubai, you've worked in London, and it seems like you just you found your home in this area. And listening to you speak, you're extremely passionate about it. Yeah, thanks, Sam. It's been quite a journey. I studied nutrition when I was doing my hotel management. It was the only subject I liked. I didn't like anything else to do with the hotel industry. But my dad paid a lot of money to get me into that college. The fees were high, and I didn't have the heart to tell him on the first day of sitting in that class, I didn't want to continue with it. But then the next day, we were introduced to a class on food science and technology, nutrition, and I fell in love with the subject. I loved it, absolutely. Finished my three years and then decided to look for a job that could pay me money so I could travel, do the hippie trail, and all of that stuff. And the hotels wouldn't pay that kind of money. So I joined a call center. I moved from Goa to Mumbai, and I worked for a country in the West outsourcing where we made calls and we tried to sell stuff to people. Did that for about a year, then got picked up for a job in Dubai. All through the journey of my travel, London, I kept studying nutrition. It was always fascinating to me that how does this amazing creation of the human body get its source of fuel from different foods? You know, and there are certain foods that make us feel energetic, certain foods that make us feel tired, certain foods that make some people sick, but become our foods to heal us. It's always fascinating. So I kept studying anatomy because I believe anatomy is everything when it comes to health, whether you're a doctor, you're a yoga therapist, you're a psychologist, because if we don't understand how the human body works, you know, we can't apply a holistic mindset to it. So, for example, if someone's gut is weak, it's not always about the next prebiotic or the probiotic. What's the environment that person's in? So I just moved straight to an example. I had a client the other day with gastric issues, acidity, bloating, and all of that. Tried every single prebiotic, probiotic. And I, I asked this lady, when you're in Mumbai, these are your symptoms. When was your last holiday? And she said it was in the Maldives about nine months ago, before the second lockdown. I said, did you have the symptoms over there? She said, absolutely none. The same gut, but a different environment. So you see how vast it is. Sometimes it's the environment where she was on a holiday, the beach, nature, no stress, how it impacts her gut. So I came back to India and I joined IBM. And as an employee, always looking at the life of the CEOs and the VPs, they're traveling business class, first class for their meetings. And, and you want to get to that position. Yes. But there's one thing that I realized, the higher people were growing up the corporate ladder, the unhealthier they were, most of them. You know, we, we had a VP, not an IBM, at a different company. He was so obese, he couldn't even fit into a first class seat. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. You have quality life designation, but you can't enjoy, you can't enjoy your life. We had people who had cholesterol, people who had back pain and leg pain. And I started reflecting on this. We have the best of medicine. We have physiotherapists. We have gyms. We have supplements. We have everything. And it struck me. The problem is not that. We already have enough of that. The problem is people's lifestyle. You can have the best medicine, but if you don't have the right lifestyle, the medicine isn't going to work for you at some point. You could be eating organic food all day, but if you're eating it with guilt, you're stressed out, you're eating it with anger, that food isn't going to work for you. So I saw a massive gap between medicine, between nutrition, between exercise, and I said, I want to fill that gap. I want to fill that gap. So I went back to the US and integrative medicine was growing. It was a beautiful field where the patient or the client is in the center and you have all the experts around. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about what is right for the patient. So if the patient needs alternative treatment, the team, the integrative team of doctors, oncologists, whatever, will decide that, yep, my chemotherapy cannot work on this patient anymore. But this seems to be a nice way of boosting his immunity. 
let's all agree and move the patient in, on that front. Or it could be exercise. We all agree as a team that this particular person cannot do this particular exercise. It's causing more inflammation. So then a yoga therapist comes and says, let's strengthen the body. Let's get a little bit of breath work in. And as an integrative team, everyone agrees what is best for the patient. Because currently what's happening in the world, everyone is their own expert. And for the right reasons, you want to defend what you think is right, what you studied in med school, what we studied in nutrition school. We think it's right. But there's a beautiful word that I want to introduce on your show today. It's called bio-individuality. That's what we are. Everyone is a bio-individual, which means what suits you doesn't have to suit me. Your heart may require a slightly higher pressure of maybe 135 by 90. Although it's defined that your blood pressure should be 120, 80, but your body type allows it with no damage. And today, cardiologists are seeing it at 135 for you won't create any harm for someone else who's a smoker, heavy drinker, and all of that stuff. 135 could be detrimental. So we look at you as a bio individual, then we don't put you in a box and say, you need to sleep eight hours every day. No, we ask you, how do you wake up feeling rested? Do you want more sleep? No, I'm ready to start the day. I don't need caffeine. I'm ready. Good. Your five hours was sufficient for you. So that's what bio-individuality is. And when we embrace it, we start to build our own health plan around us. Of course, we take health, mentorship. When we need medicine, we take medicine. Medicine can save lives. It can prevent the onset of deadlier diseases. So we're not against it. But you integrate it at the right time. So in this journey, I also found out, Sam, that people today are trained for quick fixes. Everyone wants something that gives them immediate gratification whether it's a tablet, whether it's a drug, whether it's alcohol. And the point is, you just keep suppressing the symptoms. I'm not against that. Enjoy your drink. You know, enjoy going out, enjoy all of that stuff, but back it with a solid lifestyle. So you are addressing the root cause of what your problem is. And that's what I found. I found my space in lifestyle. We were tired of dealing with symptoms. I now want to know why you get a headache not what I should give you for a headache. We have a lot of things to give you for that headache, but why are you getting it? And sometimes it's as simple as you're constipated. And then the client says, well, I didn't know constipation is related to my migraine. We fixed the constipation, the migraines disappear. Or you have acidity, and that's why you have a weaker gut. We fix the acidity, your gut starts to get better. So we address the root cause of every condition we try to. And I think over the years, the experience that we've accumulated as a team and myself, that's what plays the biggest role. You need anatomy. You need knowledge, you need the spirit to accept everyone's expertise, and then you put it all together, and that's our success story as of now. I love it. Yeah. So I I love how one of the questions you ask your clients when they first come and see you is, you ask them a question about their belief system as to whether they can get better or not. (laughs) Do you want to explain that a little bit? Because that explains the connection between the mind uh, and the body. No, I'll, I'll be upfront about it. If you don't believe you can get better, Okay, nothing's going to work. The medicine will work its capacity at a chemical level. The food may nourish you with energy. It's not going to give you the energy that's required to integrate with everything else and heal you. So it's not an airy-fairy concept. It's about your mind. Like you brush your teeth because you believe it's good for your teeth. Tomorrow, if I break that belief system in, in Sam's head, you know, you won't see the requirement to brush your teeth. You do it out of belief that it's good for my teeth. And also your subconscious mind has been programmed which is why no matter what I do to tell Sam, no matter who I am, you will wake up and brush your teeth because it's a subconscious pattern built in you from a child. You can't change it. To change it, I'm going to have to override 
that neural circuit that you built. So everyone who comes to me, I like them to know that their mind is important. In fact, I tell all my clients, yep, your chemo is good, your medicine's good, my nutrition is good, but the most powerful drug is your mind. What you believe is going to be your outcome. And people say, but Luke, I believed I was going to be fine. My daughter believed she was going to be fine, but she died. And I'm very clear to tell them that, see, there is destiny and fate. We don't understand that. That's in the dark corner. You leave it in the dark corner. It's not a controllable, but it doesn't stop us from focusing on what we can control, which is if I'm taking this chemotherapy, knowing that it's poison, it's going to destroy my cells, my organs, it's going to do that. But if I take the chemo knowing consciously that I need to change my diet to manage the side effects, but now if I change my mind pattern and say the chemo going in my body, because I've decided I, I want to take the chemo is great for me. It's going to kill my cancer. It's going to protect myself. I just changed the way my body responds from the subconscious pattern. So I want to know anyone. I speak to my daughter. I said, do you believe you're going to be happy when you buy this toy? Because if you don't believe it, it's not going to make you happy. So it all starts with our belief system. So a lot of people out there, they fail in life because they don't believe in themselves. They have all the talent in the world, but they don't believe that they can be that person. They can change their life. A drug addict doesn't believe he can get better. An alcoholic doesn't believe that he or she can reduce their consumption of alcohol. So it all starts off with belief. What we believe in, that's how the physical body responds to it. Wow. That's empowering, but it's also scary because I think one of the most difficult areas for people to control is their belief system that's been programmed over many years. And especially if that program was in your youth when you were too young to understand or you're emotionally not mature enough to understand what's going on. So I want us to return and focus on the physical soon, but just on this topic, how do you guys work on that? Is it through meditation? Do you refer people to a psychotherapist? And is that something that you and your team manage? Or do you just recognize and tell people that they have a negative belief and that they need to see someone to change it? So what modality? do you use to change negative again it's dependent on the person in front of us if we identify that they have a chemical imbalance between their serotonin their dopamine and they need the assistance of a drug by the psychiatrist to make them start to feel better have that faith and belief that they can get better so then you use medicine as a crutch but parallelly you're working with their mindsets their nutrition you know depression and the gut are interconnected with each other. Those are the more aggressive cases. And then we put them onto a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, sometimes just a counselor. Because a lot of people, when they're put onto a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they believe that they're mental. They believe that they have a mental problem. And it's not always like that. Sometimes you just can't see the clarity in your life. And that's when we encourage people to meditate. Meditation is highly misunderstood, Sam. People think they need to meditate for peace. No, you'll be peaceful only for the time that you meditate. We meditate to cultivate mindfulness in us. So in this 30 minutes of meditation or five minutes or one hour, I learn to be mindful because I'm constantly coming back to my breath. No matter how many thoughts, people, when they sit down to meditate, say, Luke, I can't meditate. I say, why? Too many thoughts are coming into my mind. Well, thoughts come into everyone's mind. The idea of meditation is not to stop the thoughts. It's what you do when the thoughts pop up. So I'm meditating right now. A thought comes in. I welcome it, but I come back to my inhale and my exhale. And the more I keep doing it, the better I get. And then the practice of that 30 minutes or 10 minutes of one hour teaches me mindfulness. And now I move out into my day. Now I'm in a situation which is aggressive between a patient or a client or whatever, between your wife, your friend and stuff. But right now, 
Because of my meditation practice, I'm mindful. I can choose the way I want to respond. I can choose what I want to accept. I can choose what I want to let go of. And this is easy for me to say. It's difficult to do in real life when the emotions come in. But that's why we practice. I learned to mindfully look at a problem. So when we work with people of depression, all they see is what's not gone well for them. So now we try to teach them mindfulness. So we're not taking away the pain from what you're going through, but we're trying to make you look at everything else that is going well. So all we're doing, you can never stop a negative thought, but you can change how much of attention you give it, how much of energy by moving on to a positive thought. So you spoke about something very important, Sam, which is the patterns that we develop during our youth. Can they be changed? We call them limiting mindsets or limiting beliefs. Like I'm fat. I don't like like, how I look. I'm horrible. No one will accept me. I had a breakup. No one's going to love me again. You can change these mindsets. Of course, sometimes if it's deeply rooted, take the help of a counselor, whoever you are. But remember, the easiest way for all of us right now to move from negativity to positivity or to change a negative mindset to a positive one, which won't happen in one day, it'll happen with practice, is a stacking method. So for example, something happens to me right now and I'm angry and I feel that, oh no, my energy levels are down. When's this disease going to get out of my body? When am I going to lose this weight? Okay, I identify my mind's gone into a negative spiral. And if I keep thinking that thought, I'm strengthening a neural pattern which already exists. And when you strengthen it, it gets stronger and stronger. Okay, but now I can say, okay, yes, I feel this way. I don't feel good, but today I'm starting a new plan. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to exercise. So I'm not left a negative negative. I've now suddenly changed the neural circuit by completing it with a positive action. So now I no longer strengthen the older pattern, but I'm creating a new one. You see, you can never get rid of the old pattern, but you can build on it. So the more I build on it, the more the negative pattern diminishes. So I wake up every day and I look in the mirror and I say, I hate myself. I don't like how I look. No one accepts me, but it's changing today because I am working on myself. I am eating well. I'm hydrated. So now the neural circuit in my subconscious mind is changing. And the more I do this, it's getting stronger and stronger. That's why a lot of people believe in affirmations, because you're stacking a positive on a negative. And the more you do it, that becomes your new way of thinking. So we can change the way we think. We can change. But a lot of people, Sam, get addicted to that way. You know, people get addicted to sadness. It becomes their world. Yes. And it becomes right for them. So does jealousy. So does dishonesty. It becomes part of you. Like the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a lie and the truth. It doesn't know the difference between reality and what's happening in the virtual world. So what you feed will grow. So like a lot of criminals, you know, they say that I thought I was doing the right thing. And they're not lying. Their lie or their dishonesty became their truth. So the beauty of this is we have the potential to program our subconscious mind by the way we think and repeating that thing. So when we feel happy, we want to continue feeling happy. So we constantly think about the things that make us happy. But if I simply start thinking sad things, I'm going to move from happiness to sadness. So my thoughts determine my feelings. And that's how it works for everyone. If you're feeling low right now, the first thing you need to do is not pour the next glass of alcohol, not blaze up the next joint. I mean, you want to do that, you can do that later. But the first thing to do is, what am I thinking? And you'll find that your thoughts are causing your feelings. Your feelings are causing your behavior and your experience, like Dr. Joseph Murphy and Joe Dispenza talk about that. That's the pattern. Thoughts, feelings, feelings, behavior, behavior, your life experience. So we all have the ability to change when we learn this and we start making small feeds to our subconscious mind through our thoughts and through our actions. I'm addicted to my phone. 
So every five seconds, I pick it up and I mindlessly look. How am I going to break that habit now? The next time I want to do it, I self-restrain. I don't do it. So now your mindset was expecting you to pick it up, but you didn't. Something new. Yes. The next time, again, don't do it. Now you're strengthening an old pattern, a new pattern, and you're diminishing the old. So that's where belief works. That's where mindsets come in, limiting beliefs. We have the ability to change it if we want to, and we're willing to put in this little bit of work. So the short circuit then is your actions, it's your behaviors. So let's look at some of the stacking of new behaviors that people can do. And this is where a lot of your lifestyle changes that you talk about come in because you change your behaviors and you can change your psychology. Most of our followers and listeners are familiar with the high branch framework. So the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energies. Now, if we look at the physical It's made up of three branches, nutrition, movement, sleep, and recharge. So if we can then take each one of those and learn about some of the lifestyle changes. Now, nutrition is a big one, but I break up nutrition into four things. So nutrition is something we take into our body, that our body absorbs. So we absorb air, we absorb water, we absorb sunshine, and we absorb food. So if we can address each one of those as well, because I love your take on air and breathing. Uh, You place a lot of emphasis on these other things, whereas a lot of people in the Western world just focus on food. And uh, I mean, having said that, you've talked a lot about food and gut health and the connection between the feeling brain, if you like, the gut and the thinking brain through various neuropathways. But let's start with food then. I want to ask you, this question what foods make our gut angry <laughs> you refine food start off with sugar right there okay. you know the more sugar we have and it's simple you know a lot of people say look sugar isn't that bad yeah it isn't that bad when we're doing it the right way but we need to understand the mechanism we have good bacteria within us and bad bacteria okay both are required that's the beauty of the human body we need a little bit of everything so being too clean is also a problem because when an infection comes in and all we're not hard enough our gut isn't strong enough to fight it. So the point is, when there's bad bacteria, what does it feed on? It feeds on sugar, on refined carbohydrates. So if I start feeding my bacteria more because I'm over-consuming the refined carbs and the sugar, I start to have more bad bacteria than the good bacteria. So now I have a bacterial overgrowth. It could be SIBO, it could be dysbiosis. When that happens, I start to trap more air, I get bloated, I get gassy. That bacteria starts to poke in walls in my intestine. And then I start having intestinal permeability, which leads to autoimmune conditions, inflammation, all of that. Which is very common, what you just mentioned. You know, those perforations in our gut, I think we call it uh, leaky gut syndrome. Leaky gut syndrome. Yeah, Yeah. so that is one of the prime causes of a plethora of autoimmune diseases that is on the increase. I mean, autoimmune disease is off the charts in Australia. So. Can you elaborate then a little bit about the gut connection, if you like? Because your approach to food nutrition is that it's all about the gut. You fix the gut, you have a healthy gut. From there, everything else falls into place. A sharper mind, emotionally solid, more energy. I'm going to continue from your point on the autoimmune part because it's very important. You said, yeah, it is raging all over the world. And the worst thing is people's mindset again. They believe that you can't do anything about it. They say it's incurable. It's not a disease. It's a condition. You can't cure a condition, but you can put it into remission. So the first point, when you have an autoimmune condition, why will your doctors, for the right reasons, give you immunosuppressants or steroids to shut down your immune system because your own immune system is attacking you? 
whether it's a multiple sclerosis, whether it's lupus, whether it's vitiligo, eczema, psoriasis, a Hashimoto's thyroid, a Crohn's, whatever it is, we need to stop the attack of your immune system. So the question that comes to our mind is why is your immune system behaving erratically? Now, here are the most common reasons. One is chronic stress. Okay, we'll address that later. When you're chronically stressed, not day-to-day stress, that's good for us. Chronic stress, your body's out of homeostasis. Your immune system is always on the edge. What's going to happen? I'm ready. I'm in the fight and flight response. What's going to attack me? It starts attacking you. The second is leaky gut syndrome. Certain food molecules or molecules that are supposed to exit your system squeeze through your intestine into your blood. Not supposed to be there. Immune system wakes up to attack it. It's called molecular mimicry. Some of these molecules resemble your thyroid gland. The attack is on your thyroid gland, Hashimoto's. Your cartilage, arthritis, your skin, psoriasis, eczema, your myelin sheet, multiple sclerosis. So when we have autoimmune patients come to us, sometimes it's highly genetic as well, but this doesn't mean you can't do anything. That's another thinking mindset we got to change that, oh, I have bad genes. Yes, but what turned on the bad genes so early in life? Genes are constantly getting switched on and switched off, controlled by our lifestyle, external, internal, food, sleep, like your beautiful framework talks about those three ingredients, food, sleep, movement can turn on and turn off good and bad genes. So coming back to autoimmune conditions, you can put it into remission and you can keep it into remission. We have thousands of patients who are in remission and sometimes they come back, loop, it's come back again. I got eczema, okay? I got joint pain and I know what the cause is. I got stressed out and the flare-up happened. And the moment they start relaxing and getting rid of their stress, they go into remission again. And that's the beauty of autoimmune condition. Of course, there would be that odd three to 5% where it's highly aggressive, no matter what you do, Sometimes the pain continues. Sometimes the patches remain on your skin, but it doesn't mean we don't try. The balance, 95%, is getting better and going into remission. So the gut is everything, like you said, Sam. It regulates hormones. So when we have people or young girls with hormonal imbalances, women with endometriosis getting their menopause too early, painful periods, it's a hormonal imbalance. You can change your food and everything else, but first you want to get, get your gut working the right way because that regulates your hormones. I can take all the bioidentical hormones, get onto oral contraceptives. I'm just suppressing the symptom and causing more damage to my body in the long run. Take it as a crutch, but with a vision that in the next three months, doctor, I'm going to work with you, but I want to get off this drug in three to six months. I'm making these changes. And your doctor will work with you as your levels come down. They'll start reducing the statins. They'll start reducing your bioidentical hormones because you're putting in the work to make a change. You're empowering your gut to work for you. So sugar's bad. Carbohydrates in excess. Now, let's say I go out tonight. I have a party. I drink alcohol. I have cake. It's not the end. I'm not going to destroy my gut as long as I get back on track tomorrow. As long as I get back on track tomorrow. Because, you know, even pollution affects our gut. Now, that's not within our control. Pollution, we can't control that. Every time I breathe in pollution, carcinogens, it's affecting my liver, it's affecting my gut. But if I build a strong system, my system has the ability to deal with that. But if I have now pollution and bad food and bad habits and sleep deprivation, the burden on the human body is too much. So it comes down to the gut. The gut works best when it is not stressed, when we're not constantly eating which is why fasting, fasting isn't your 16 hours, your 18 hours. No, you don't have to put yourself into a box. Even 12 hours of beautiful fasting, finish your dinner with sunset, break your fast when the sun rises. That 12 hours is called circadian rhythm fasting. It is beyond powerful. 
because your body's working according to the laws of nature. Your gut gets a break. Your digestive system gets a break. Repair can happen. Rejuvenation, inflammation comes down. So we can use a tool as simple as therapeutic fasting to make the gut better. Then we got to look at our hydration levels. We got to look, when it comes to nutrition, I have one rule for the gut. Okay, it's different for everyone. Some people may be lactose intolerant, gluten intolerant. That's specific to a person. But for everyone, your plate needs to look like a rainbow. Colors, diversity. Because when you have colors on your plate, you have diversity of micronutrients, uh, minerals, trace minerals. That's what the gut needs. It's a micro colony of millions and trillions of different strains. They need a variety of nutrients. So number one, plate looks like a rainbow. Number two, it's how you eat your food. If you're overeating, you're going to have problems. If you're eating too fast, your digestion is incomplete. Everyone's always worried about how much to eat and all of that. It starts with how you eat. If I'm eating when I'm stressed, okay, I cannot digest and assimilate food. It's against the mechanism of the body. And it's not because Luke says that. I'll explain. There's the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight and flight. We're not meant to eat when we're stressed. The body's prepared to fight or to flee. Yes. The digestive system shuts down. And then there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. We sleep better. We digest better in the system. So let's say we're having an argument right now and it's going to be lunchtime. I need to eat my lunch. How do I move from sympathetic to parasympathetic so I don't destroy my gut further? I can just close my eyes, sit with my back straight and take six deep breaths. A long inhale, a long exhale. That's the quickest way to trick the body into moving from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And then I eat my food calmly. I chew my food. I finish it. I give thanks. I bless it with gratitude. That is a beautiful process of connecting with your food at a sacred level. You don't have to pray to God if you don't believe in God, but you can be grateful. Gratitude is a blessing. It's a universal blessing. It changes the energy of your food. And that's what you do. Another mistake that people make, they drink a lot of water while eating their food. That isn't a good thing for your gut. So you usually drink your water before your meal and 30 minutes later. Now, let's say I'm having that really spicy Thai curry that I like, and I've been into a bird chili. Okay, I can take a small sip of water. I can take an extra spoon of white rice, which kind of cuts down the heat. There are different ways of doing it. But people gulp water and they eat. It's bad for your gut because you're not allowing the assimilation of food, the digestion of food to happen the right way. So you put the burden on your small intestine, where the small intestine's job is to have already digested food enter for fermentation, breakdown, absorption, and everything else. So these are the key things. When you talk about nutrition and the gut, there are millions of people taking prebiotics and probiotics. I don't have a problem with that. But if you don't need it, why are you taking it? Of course, if you're taking an antibiotic, you need to take a probiotic, for sure. you got to do that or there's more damage to your gut. But for everything else, look at your natural foods. You have your fermented foods, your sakras, your pickles, your kimchi, your yogurts, if you're not non-dairy, There are so many natural foods. You have your ginger, your garlic, which are prebiotics. So when you're eating a balanced meal, in most cases, you don't really have to use this. We use probiotics and prebiotics only for people who are going through medical treatments where the medication is destroying the gut. So we use it as a kind of a symbiotic to kind of keep the gut healthy while you're going through the treatment. For everyone else, our pro athletes across the world, they don't take any probiotic supplements because they're getting it from their food. Again, bio-individuality. I'm glad you called that out because I'm going to talk about an African study that was done, I think, two years ago. But first, and I'll circle back to it, but first I want to go back to stress. Now, is it stress that causes the disequilibrium of the, the gut flora or is it bad gut flora that causes you to go into a state of stress? It's both. 
It works both ways. A couple of days ago, I did a video on the gut-brain axis. It's two ways. I can be stressed in my mind. Yes. And I can create disharmony in my gut. And it just works on the principle of hormonal mechanism again. And at the same time, I can have a problem in my gut and I create something called brain fog. You know that feeling when you slept well, you're eating well, but you just wake up with that heavy feeling. You carry it throughout the day in your head. You're lethargic. It's called brain fog. And you got to look at your gut for that. So it's both ways. That's why when we have a patient of depression, we always look at the gut first. And we've seen so many people who have cleaned out their gut and they're like, look, I'm feeling better. I'm not feeling depressed anymore. And of course, some people, it's way deeper than that. So when you look at a patient of depression, you got to look at the gut. And when you look at a gut patient, you can also correlate it with the way they're feeling. Nothing motivates me anymore. I used to be this passionate person. I just can't find it. It's your gut again, regulation of hormones, serotonin, which makes us feel good. Most of it is made in the gut. So if I have a problem with the gut, how is it going to influence my mind? So it's both ways. Stress can cause chronic stress, can cause your gut to go out of whack completely. That's why people feel before an exam or before a deadline, why do you feel it in your gut first? Butterflies in the stomach, that gnawing some people with IBS constantly go when they're nervous to pass a motion. Because stress causes the inflammation in the gut lining that gives you the urge to want to pass a stool. You know, or you feel that queasiness in your stomach. So it's beautiful. The mind, the gut, how it's connected. And you've got to look after both for both to work the right way. Yeah, I love that. So that's why we started with the mind and now we've moved on to the gut. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Well, we'll leave it right there because next week I bring you part two of my interview with Luke Cotinho. Absolutely fascinating talk. We go even deeper. This gentleman is absolutely a thought leader in this space of preventative and integrative medicine. And what I love about his approach is he does not dismiss mainstream medicine either. He works in conjunction with it. So a little bit of a preview of what we talk about next week. We talk about sunshine, vitamin D, happiness as a universal energy. And he talks about something that's called simplicity is a luxury. We also discuss inner intelligence, meditation and reflection, the power of vision. And I go through my own morning and nightly meditation, which I recently covered in previous podcasts in my series on the 456 system for living we also talk about food rules protein high cholesterol and statins epigenetics and what he calls medication lifestyle versus medicated medicine and i love it you're going to love this next part to all our listeners thank you again for listening and as always as i say live consciously and i I always bring this information to you with the utmost of love and respect for your time and for your well-being So until next time, live consciously. Thank you.